0: Welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree for the Love. This is the first episode of this podcast, and I am so excited. I was telling one of my friends the other day that I don't think I have ever been excited for anything more in my entire life. Um, this, however, <laughs> is the second time I've recorded this particular um, episode. Um, I think the first time was just me kind of getting out some of my jitters and getting used to talking into a microphone in a room by myself. And now I slept on it and I and I just I feel good today. So I'm excited to dive into this. I wanted to start by introducing myself. Um I have four kids, ages 12, a girl age 12, Lana, and a girl age nine, Kenna and a boy age six, Cohen, and a girl age three, Jane. And I've been married for 15 years to my husband, Daniel, and he's wonderful. And I love chips and salsa, like to kind of a an extreme extent. Um, my mom was telling me that I go to extreme lengths to enjoy my favorite foods. And she's right, one of my very most favorite things to do is to eat a small dinner with the family so that later I can make salsa, which I do make amazing salsa. Maybe someday you'll get to try it. And I love to make it at night and get the kids to bed and eat it all by myself or with my husband. He's also invited. Um, But as long as he doesn't try and dip out of my bowl, I want my own bowl of salsa and I just love to cuddle up with it. Anyway, so enough about salsa <laughs> um i something I like about myself. I'm easily entertained I, It doesn't take a whole lot for for me to be happy um, and i I love singing, I love music, and um my mom I was asking my mom and my sisters, but my sisters didn't respond yet, but I asked them for some qualities about me because I was having a little bit of trouble, and my mom said, "You don't mind skipping along." the sidewalk, even if someone sees you, which isn't entirely accurate, but I have skipped occasionally as an adult by myself down a sidewalk for the purpose of doing it, even though people are seeing me and even though I might feel slightly embarrassed. So I am a firm believer in doing things that make you uncomfortable and hence podcast. I'm a little uncomfortable doing this, but I feel called to do it. Um, and I also believe that Heavenly Father is behind me and that His Spirit will be with me, and I hope that that you can feel that through the things that I talk about. Um, I'm starting this podcast for the love of the gospel, for the love of my Heavenly Father, for the love of my Savior, for the love I have for the Book of Mormon and the imperfect prophets who brought it to us. I am doing it for the love of my children because I want them to know that their mother loved, loves the Savior and that I am willing to follow through when feeling prompted to doing something, even if it's something that's outside of my comfort zone and that I'm willing to put effort into the things that I feel called to do. And so I'm going to do it. I am going to go and do. And I I think that right now in the world is a really hard time, and we are quite literally in a war with the adversary. And the great thing is, is that we already know the outcome. I already know that he wins. But there are ultimately, it doesn't just magically happen. There are reasons that we win, and I want to be a force for good and I want this this podcast to be something that's good that's being put out there in the world and helping win the war um I I'm weak. I don't have it all together. I have a lot of a lot of faults, but I know I was called to do this right now. I've only officially been doing this for a week. I've been researching and I can already feel the power that it's bringing to my life and I have faith that the Lord will help speak to you through helping me know what to say. So we're going to dive in. This week we're talking about Helaman 7 through 12. And every week my daughter tells me, you always say it's a cool story this week because I usually start our scripture study with like, if they're like grumbling or whatever, I usually say, but guys, we're at such a cool part. And my daughter called me out and she said, Mom, you always say we're at a cool part. Well, (laughs) it's pretty easy because pretty much every part of the Book of Mormon is a cool part. Um, So Nephi in chapter seven, he is coming back from preaching in the land northward where the people have rejected him to such a great degree that he says he could not stay among them. And he's super sad because of how wicked the people are, his people and the lame knights, and he's wishing that he could have lived in a, in a more peaceful, humble time when the people might have listened to him, and that he could have taken joy in them. so he he's going to his tower in his garden by the highway, and he's pouring these things out to Heavenly Father. And it says in there it says he pour, he starts to pour his soul to God. So it made me think, what is pouring our soul to God? So when I think about pouring something, I think about that I am pouring liquid from one container and giving it to another container. And when I pour that liquid out, it's no longer trapped in my cup and it's given to something else. I didn't. I, I don't think of it as like sprinkling. It's pouring. It's giving it all. And so that makes me think about how we are told that we can unload all all of our burdens on him. And that is such a merciful thing. He didn't, the atonement wasn't just for our sins. It was for our sorrows. And he has asked us, told us that we can give our burdens to him. The plan, it never, ever intended to have us keep those burdens all to ourselves. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty, it says, "Come unto me, all ye, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." Do we need rest right now? The world's pretty hard right now, and He has promised that he will give us rest if we'll give him our burdens. What does it mean when it says the Lord is meek and lowly of heart? I looked up some some definitions and synonyms, and some of the words that I, I came up with that made the biggest impression on me is, it means that he is easily imposed upon. That was my favorite. Easily imposed upon. He wants you to come to him. It is not something that he is feeling resentful about or wishing you weren't that is what he wants he is gentle and quiet and good and kind and he if you are if you are knowing him as he is he is easy to approach he wants us to pour our souls to him and let him make our burdens light does that mean they're they're going to be easy nope but He can bear them with us. And he has promised us that rest to our souls. I think a lot of us feel burdened right now. It is a hard time. And it's so easy to be brought low by everything that's going on in the world. But there is peace in the Savior. And Nephi, our prophet we're talking about, he knew that this is where he could lay his burdens and find peace. So he's praying in the garden. And the people came and they're marveling over his great mourning. And then he notices them, which I think it would be interesting to kind of go back in time and see how this all went down. Because if I'm going to pour my soul out in God, into unto God and not really expecting people to hear me, I don't necessarily go on a tower by my garden by the hi- in my garden by the highway. Anyway, so I'm curious how that all happened, because it does seem like he was surprised that they were listening to him. So question to ask Nephi <laughs> eventually. So he notices them listening to him, and he says, Why are you gathering to listen to me? Do you want me to tell you about your sins? So he starts to tell them the things that he is mourning for and why he is sad. So in Helaman 7, 15 through 16, he says, And because of my mourning and lamentations ye have gathered yourselves together and do marvel, yea, ye have ye have great and ye have great need to marvel. And ye ought to marvel because ye are given away that the devil has gotten got so great hold upon your hearts. Yea, how could you have given your given way to the enticing of him who seeks to hurl away your souls down into everlasting misery and endless woe? So the first thing that caught my eye is he says, How could Because ye are given away. So What does it mean to be given away? Does that mean that the Savior gave you away? Does it mean that someone forced you to be given away in some way? Who gave you away? And the crazy thing is, is that we do it. We do it to ourselves. We have agency. We've been given the opportunity to choose. And so when we give our heart away to the adversary, it was all our doing. Even the adversary, he didn't take your heart. You gave it to him. And we can't, we read in the scriptures, oh, I forgot the scripture, but um, where it says that no man can serve two masters. We can't skirt the line. Either we're serving the savior and, we, and our hearts are pure and want to be like him and follow the commandments or we're headed in the other direction. So the second part that caught my eye was the phrase, Hurl away your souls, which to me is quite the imagery. When I think of hurling, it's it's violent, um, it's throwing with with great force. Um, it's um, oh, and I actually I looked up um, a few definitions as well, and it says impel violently. Think about that. Satan wants you to be miserable. He wants you to fail. He wants you to hate yourself. He wants you to give up. He wants you to spiritually die so that he can hurl your soul to hell. But the perfect thing about Heavenly Father's plan is that he can't simply take your soul and hurl it. You have to give it to him. You have agency. Satan is not the boogeyman that you can't escape from. He cannot get you if you stay close to the Savior. If he gets your heart, it is because you chose to allow him to have this power over you. And does he do this by all of a sudden doing, getting you to do something huge, like murder someone or cheat on your spouse? No, he absolutely does not. He is so much sneakier than that. In 2 Nephi chapter 28, verse 21, it says, And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. So again two words in there cheateth to me that means that he's promising you something that ultimately he won't give you and he's tricking you and then the second word carefully he does it a little bit at a time and that's why pride is such an effective strategy for him pride happens in little steps and in a lot of a lot of different kinds of ways i think it's it's easy to get stuck in one definition of pride, but there are so many different ways that we can be being prideful. We might start to think more and more of ourselves, our superiority in some ways. We just give a little bit of a time, a little bit at a time, and we start taking steps further and further away from Heavenly, Heavenly Father and, until we're separated from Him. And it's not because He left us, it's because we left Him. He doesn't move. It says in um, 2 Nephi 2.32, "Mine arm is lengthened out all the day long. He never gets tired. He does not give up on us, and it's never too late. No matter where you're at right now, whether you feel like you're in the middle of the pride cycle or you feel like you're doing a pretty good job at keeping yourself humble, there is always some measure of pride, I think, in every single one of our days. I feel it in every single one of my days, and I and I have to check myself and and ask my ask my heavenly Father to take that from from me or my Savior. So, all we have to do isn't be perfect. All we have to do is turn our hearts to Him, and have keep trying and have the intention to be humble and again that's what the atonement is for we can ask him to take our pride away and if we are humble and sincere and we have faith he will take it it's just so easy to say all of that but then so easy to start to feel justified in our pride and get tricked don't let yourself be deceived. One of Satan's favorite tools is to make us believe that evil is good, logical, and justified. It's one of the most common things that I see in the world. And when I am in, to- in tune with the spirit, I can see it more easily. But when I'm not, I, I feel myself getting tricked a little bit. The world's so caught up in its own wisdom that we are calling good evil and evil good. Don't let it happen inside yourself. Don't get so caught up in your own pride that you feel like it's justified and right. So I looked up this quote that's so great from um, Ezra Taft Benson, and it's in his talk called Beware of Pride. Most of us think of pride as self-centeredness, conceit, boastfulness, arrogance, or haughtiness. All of these are elements of sin, but the heart or core is still missing. The central feature of pride is enmity enmity toward God and enmity toward our fellow men. Enmity means hatred toward, hostility to, or state of oppression. It is is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Pride is essentially competitive in nature. We pit our will against God, and when we direct our pride toward God, it is in the spirit of, My will, not thine be done. As Paul said, they seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's our will in competition with god's uh, with god's will allows desires appetites and passions to go unbridled one of my most frequent prayers and the prayer that i said right before i did this con- this this podcast is for my intentions to be pure and my actions to be for the right right reasons i i don't want doesn't mean it never happens but i don't want my actions to be motivated by my desire to look good in front of other people or to get their admiration or to get friends and influence. I have to pray every day to not feel competitive. And I don't want to cherish feelings of superiority. I pray to want his will more than my own. And I want to serve him. I want to do what he has commanded me to do. And I want the focus of my life to be the Savior and how I can help others feel His love through me. But that doesn't mean that my pride doesn't creep in sometimes. For sure does. I feel it. And I, again, I'm often calling myself out on it. And it's a constant readjustment for everyone. Pray for Him to take your pride and He will do it. He already paid for the sins of my pride. And all I have to do is be humble and give it to Him. All right, continuing on with Nephi. So one of my favorite things about the Book of Mormon is there is so much passion in it. And I love um, one of the most special experiences I've had in the last few years is I read the whole Book of Mormon out loud with my oldest daughter. And it was, I highly recommend it. It was so cool to read the Book of Mormon out loud and try and bring the prophets to life because there's so much personality in it. It isn't just this bland book of robotic prophets that don't have any personality. They're all very different and they have, you can just hear the passion. So let's listen to Nephi here. He says, Oh, repent ye, repent ye. Why will ye die? Turn ye, turn ye unto the Lord your God. Why has he forsaken you? It is because ye have hardened your hearts. Yea, ye will not hearken unto the voice of the good shepherd. Yea, ye have provoked him to anger against you. And behold, instead of gathering you, except ye will repent, behold, he shall scatter you forth, and ye shall become meat for dogs and wild beasts. Oh, how could ye have forgotten your God in the very day that he has delivered you? You can just feel it. Nephi loves his people. In chapter 7, he is pleading with them to choose the savior. And it made me think of our sweet prophet President Nelson. And I was just thought about how much he must love us. I think that we would be seriously mistaken if if we think that he doesn't cry sometimes for us, for the choices that we're making and and the things that he sees. Think of what a gift that is to have somebody who loves us that much and and Nephi, he was a real man who cried in his garden for his people. And President Nelson is a real man. He is not some abstract being. And I am positive that he has cried for us. I even wonder if he has said some version of what Nephi said in verse 7, where he said, Oh, that I could have been in, I could have had my days in the days when my father Nephi first came out of the land of Jerusalem, that I could have joyed with him in the promised land when the people were easy to be entreated, firm to keep the commandments of God and slow to be led to do iniquity. And they were quick to hearken unto the words of the Lord. Nephi's desire is he wants to have joy in the righteousness of his people. And I'm sure that sometimes president Nelson feels that way too. But I, but I also believe that he does have righteousness Um, joy in in the righteousness that's there so let's continue on so in the crowd that is gathering to listen to nephi mourn and now he's telling them about their iniquities there are members of the gadiatans in the crowd and they get mad but they don't dare attack him because they're afraid that some of the people will will be angry so they start to try and turn them against him by saying things like he's reviling against our law why don't you seize him Why do you let him say bad things about us and tell us that we are going to be destroyed and our cities be taken from us? You know that that's impossible because we are so awesome. So that worked for some people. Some people started to get more and more angry. But others defended Nephi and said, leave him alone. He's a good man. The things he's saying about our wickedness are true, and these things will happen if we don't repent. So Nephi can see that he's getting through to some of the people. So he continues. So he tells them about Moses and the Red Sea and Um, And Lehi and all the miracles that the Lord did in their lives. And he reminds them that all these prophets that they have all been taught about have testified of Christ. And I think there's an important lesson there. He starts by calling them to repentance, but he follows it up by testifying of Jesus Christ. You can never go wrong testifying of Jesus Christ. Do you think that there is even the slightest chance that the Spirit won't be with you if you are bearing a pure testimony of Jesus Christ? No. He will be there. He will bear, wet, bear witness to the people you are talking to. If their heart is prepared and ready, He will bear witness to them that, that it's true. There is nothing more powerful, no words that I or you can say more powerful than the witness of the Holy Ghost testifying to someone's heart. So Nephi continues and says, "And now, seeing ye know these things, and ye cannot deny them, except ye shall lie; therefore, in this ye have sinned, for ye have rejected all the things, all these things, notwithstanding so many evidences which ye have received. Yea, even ye have received all, all things, both in heaven and all things which are in earth, as a witness that they are true." So he's telling them, you know, these things and you have have had evidence that these things are true. So because we need to be applying the Book of Mormon in our lives, we need to understand what happened because the same thing is happening now in our world with so many evidences of God in our own life. Are we remembering? Are we treasuring those experiences? What are the things that we can make sure that we do so we don't forget the tender mercies that we have in our life and the moments that we know that we feel him there? And I think like many things, it's a pretty easy answer, a kind of a primary answer, but of course, more difficult in practice. Keep the commandments the best you can. Pray, read your scriptures, bear your testimony. Tell someone when you see the Lord in your life, write it down. Put Heavenly Father first. There's a reason that we're told to feast on the scriptures and treasure those special testimony moments in our hearts. In 3 Nephi 13.21, it says, For where your treasure be, there will your heart be also. We need to treasure those moments. They need to be special and sacred to us. And that, if if we're treasuring those, that is where our heart will be. And if we're not treasuring it, we might become like Laman and Lemuel and be past feeling where we aren't able to remember the feeling and the witness of the Holy Ghost anymore because we've, we've gone too far away. So really quickly, I wanted to tell you about an experience that I had recently where I saw evidence in my life of God's presence. Um, so I minister to, um, a girl that I just love and she is having some health problems right now. And I was about to go to town and I wanted to do something for her before I went out of town. And so I decided to make her some tomato soup and I make really good tomato soup. I guess I make all good tomato based things, salsa, tomato soup. Anyway, very proud of my tomato soup. So I made her some tomato soup and I was just going to give her a little container of tomato soup and a card before I left. Um, but I was on my way taking my ki- my girls to piano lessons, and as I was driving back from dropping them off, I passed a restaurant called neaters and I had the thought that I should make it more of a meal for her family, which i hadn't really thought about doing previously. So I stopped at neaters and I got some bread, and then I also f- decided to get a chocolate dome and it's this delicious little round cake I don't know how they make it It seems magical Um, it's a perfect circle and it has chocolate mousse on the inside and then chocolate on the outside and it's just delicious so I got her this bread and the chocolate dome and I went home and I gave her I decided instead of giving her one container of soup I was gonna give her two that way she could have dinner for her family and and then I gave her the chocolate dome so I went and dropped it off at her doorstep and Um, I got a text from her not too long after, and she told me just the coolest thing. And what she said is about the time. So about the time that I was driving past needers, she had had her nurse there and she found out that she was going to need to take it easy for the rest of the rest of the day. And she didn't know that before. And so she was like, ah, what am I going to feed my family for dinner? And lo and behold, dinner shows up at her doorstep um, a few minutes later. But not only that, the night before, it was kind of late at night and she decided she really wanted a treat. And so she had gone um, online to order one to get delivered to her, but it was too late. And so she she ended up not getting it. But she was going to order a chocolate dome, (laughs) which is so random. It's not something we've we've talked about. I don't, I don't know that it's like her favorite thing or anything. It's just this random dessert. And I just know that heavenly father wanted her to know that he was so perfectly aware of her, even down to the details of that. He knew that she wanted a chocolate dome. So I wanted to read you the text that I sent to her after she told me all of this. I said, this makes me so happy and it's such a testimony testimony builder that the Lord knows exactly what we need. I love that you wanted a chocolate dome last night. I mean, the Lord filled your dessert order. He's so perfect. My mom is reading this book called Divine Signatures and has been telling me about it. The basic premise is that the Lord works in lots of ways that many might chalk up to coincidence. But the beyond perfect timing is what plants his divine signature on things. I was planning on just giving you one container of tomato soup and a card. But right after two o'clock, probably right while your nurse was there, I took the girls to the piano, piano lessons. I was passing by Neater's and had the thought that I should get a chocolate dome and bread so I could make it into more of a meal for everyone by adding the extra soup. All of that didn't even cross my mind until then. It was all him. I am so amazed by his tender care and I'm so grateful to know about the divine signature placed today. Thank you for telling me. I never want to forget that. And so that's one of the reasons that I'm telling you this right now. I'm telling you because I treasure it. And I want you to know that I know that he placed his divine signature on that interaction. So, Nephi continues, he prophesies that they'll if they go to the judgment seat that they'll see that the chief judge has been, been murdered and so the crowd sends five people, five men to go check it out and you know they're running to the judgment seat and they're all excited because they're like, haha, we're gonna prove that he's not really a prophet. And they run and they get there and they see that it's true and that the chief judge is murdered. And they're so astonished and so afraid because of all the things that Nephi had said that they pass out. And so people eventually start to discover that the chief judge has been murdered and they come to the judgment seat and they see these five guys laying around them around him. And they assume that they have killed the chief judge, that they're the ones who did it. So the next day they're all gathering together to mourn and to bury the chief judge. And some of the judges that were at listening to, to Nephi, the day before they say, Hey, where are the five guys that we sent? And they're told that they are in prison. And so they go to question the guys to ask them what happened. And the, the five tell them what happened and that when they got there, he was already murdered. And we were so astonished that we, we fell to the ground. And so the judges, of course, instead of, Deciding to believe that is a sign from God, decide to say, Oh, Nephi must have conspired with someone so that he would look like a prophet. And so they bring Nephi in and they offer him, they even offer him money if he will just admit that he conspired. And Nephi says, Oh, ye fool. And he tells them how silly that they are and that they need to repent. And then he gives them another sign and he tells them where they will find the murderer. And they say, go to see, or he says, go to Siantum's house and ask him if he conspired to murder with me to Caesarum. So he'll deny it and he'll pretend to be astonished, but then you'll look at him and you'll find some blood on his cloak and you'll ask him about him and he'll look about it and he'll look pale and he'll tremble and you'll tell him, we can tell you're guilty. And then he'll be even more afraid and he'll confess. And he'll also tell you that I, I, Nephi, did not conspire with him and that I must have the power of God. So they went and did it and everything unfolded just the way Nephi said it would. So the five and Nephi were set free. And after that, some people believed and some people thought that Nephi must be a God. Think of all the amazing evidence they had that Nephi was a prophet of God and still some were not convinced. Why aren't signs the primary way that God works? He has infinite power. He could show us anything if he wanted to, but it's because signs don't change our hearts. So in the Come, Follow Me manual, it told us to go look under signs in gospel topics. And there it says, some people claim that they would believe in God or his work if they were able to receive a sign. But faith does not come by signs. It comes through the Holy Ghost as individuals study the scriptures and prayerfully seek to learn the plan of God. The Lord revealed faith cometh not by signs, but signs follow those that believe. Such signs are given to those who are faithful and obedient to strengthen them in their faith and to help them carry out the will of God. Because signs are associated with faithfulness, non-believers often mock believers with requests for a sign in tempting Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Satan made this mocking request, as did those who crucified the Christ. Christ taught, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Signs are not given to produce faith, but to confirm faith and bless the faithful. I tell my kids all of the time, we are here on earth to learn how to have faith. God doesn't give everything to us right now, and it was never intended to be that way. We are here to begin our process of becoming per- perfect, and in order to have faith, we need to have some of those godlike qualities that come before faith, like meekness and humility and lowly- lowliness of heart. It is literally part of the plan for us not to know everything right now. In fact, it strengthens my testimony when I find things that I don't understand right now because I know that it is not part of the plan. I am not supposed to know everything right now, and it is okay. So after the five and Nephi release, Nephi is left standing alone, and he's, he's sad again. He's walking toward his house and thinking about everything that had hap- that had happened, and the Lord speaks to him. And the Lord said, Blessed art thou, Nephi, for those things which thou hast done. For I have beheld how thou hast with unweariness, we, unwearyingness declared the word which I hath given unto thee, unto this people. And thou hast not feared them, and hast not sought thine own life, but hast sought my will, and to keep my commandments. And now, because thou hast done this with such unwearyingness, behold, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word and deed, in faith in, and in works, yea, even that all things shall be done according unto thee according to thy word for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will for behold thou art nephi and i am god behold i declare it unto me in the presence of mine angels that ye shall have power over this people and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction according to the wickedness of this people behold i will give unto you power that whatsoever ye shall seal on earth shall be sealed in heaven and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and thus ye shall have power among this people. I love the part where the Lord says for behold, for I have beheld how thou hast with, with unwearyingness declared, wor- declared the word declared the word. The Lord saw Nephi. He saw his effort and loved his effort, and he saw his love for the people. The Lord sees you. When you feel like you've given something to everything Given something, everything that you can, and it still doesn't seem like enough. He sees you, and he will bless you forever for it. No effort is worthless; it has value, and the Lord sees you, and He will grant unto you power in your life. But of course, we know that Nephi is a prophet, and he's been he's being given amazing prophetic power. So after Nephi listens to the Lord, he immediately turns around and goes back to the people. He doesn't wait, and that's why the Lord has such faith in him. He knows that Nephi has aligned his will with the Lord's. He goes back to the people and he and he keeps talking to them. And ta-da! It works. They repent. Oh wait, no, it doesn't. They want to throw him into prison. <laughs> Can you imagine? The Lord just gave you all of this amazing power and you go back and you feel inspired to go call them to repentance again. And it still doesn't work. You might feel like you're doing something wrong or that you let the Lord down. He could have thought of himself as a failure. He's already been to the land northward and come back feeling downcast because they wouldn't listen and then he showed them all these amazing signs and they're still not listening and then the lord talks to him and he and he goes back and they're still not listening so why does he keep going he keeps going because he loves the lord and he loves the gospel and he loves the people so what happened next so in chapter 10 verse 16 it says, but behold, the power of God was with him, and they could not take him to cast him into prison, for he was taken by the Spirit and conveyed away out of the midst of them. So I'm very intrigued by this concept that he was conveyed away out of the midst of him. Of him. And I don't know if we know exactly what that means. I don't know if it means it's like Star Trek where he's like beamed elsewhere, or I really don't know. That's kind of what I imagine. It's like he is just like magically, spiritually led out of there. I'm not really sure. Another interesting question to ask later. Um, Then it said he went forth from multitude to multitude in the spirit, which I also wondered what that means. Does that mean that he had the spirit with him or does that mean like his body and his spirit were like separate and he was like there in spirit so they couldn't hurt him and cast him into prison? I have no idea. That's just something I don't know, something interesting to think about. But the Lord can do anything, so that's possible. Um, so wickedness continues; they're not listening to him, and Nephi resorts to something more drastic. And he says, "O Lord, do not suffer that this people shall be destroyed by the sword, but O Lord, rather let there be a famine in the land to stir them up in remembrance of the Lord their God, that perhaps they will repent and turn unto thee." So it happens; there's a famine. And they stop killing each other because they're so distracted by not having food. And many of them die by the thousands. And there's a famine for two to three years. And then they begin to remember the words of Nephi. And they repent and they ask the Lord for mercy. And Nephi says to the Lord, he says, O Lord, thou didst hearken unto my words when I said, Let there be a famine, that pestilence of the sword might cease. And I know that thou wilt, even at this time, hearken unto my words. For thou settest that... If this people repent, I will spare them. Yea, O Lord, thou seest that they have repented because of the famine and the pestilence and destruction which has come unto them. And now, O Lord, Lord, wilt thou turn away thine anger and try again if they will serve thee? And if so, O Lord, thou canst bless them according to thy words which thou hast said. So think about how terrible that famine was. But somehow... It was a merciful thing. It gave them time to repent and to become a righteous people again. And it made me think about how we are always praying for blessings. I'm praying that my family will be safe and happy, that we can be healthy, that my grandparents can be healthy, that the world can somehow come to some sort of peace. All kinds of blessings we we pray for and I'm not advocating praying for trials because that's not something I'm going to start to do. I don't, I don't necessarily want to ask for terrible trials to come, come to me, but he is so wise and he loves us too much to only give us an easy life. And sometimes those hard things, they might be because we need to be humbled or maybe they're just happening because we need to be refined and they might be a blessing in disguise. Can you think of humbling times in your life that brought you back to him? And can you think now it's kind of hard to think in the moment of these really hard trials as blessings, but can you think of ones you've had in the past that you can think of as blessings? I can, for sure. I can. We are here to learn heaven. We're here to learn to be more like the savior. And sometimes bad things happen to us to refine us. Even if we're already on the path to him. And sometimes bad things happen to humble us. Mental health is a hard thing to hang on to these days. And I I encourage you to think about how you can pull nearer to him rather than push him away. Let him be with you. Let him help you carry that. So... The famine is lifted, and now they esteem Nephi as a great prophet. And it says the land was filled with rejoicing. Both Lamanites and Nephites become righteous for about four years, but then some of them broke off to form a new Gadiatan robber since all the old ones were killed off. And they start to become powerful and cause lots of trouble, and the people send armies to to try to destroy them, but it doesn't work. And the people again remember the Lord and realize that it was their own iniquity that caused it. And they go back and forth. And the next year they forget again. And by the time it's been nine years since the famine ended, they are back to being wicked again. And it says in chapter 12, verse 1, and and this is Mormon talking. He's interjecting his his own like recap and thoughts. He says, and thus we can behold how false and and also the unsteadiness of the hearts of the children of men. Yea, we can see that the Lord in his great infinite goodness doth bless and prosper those who put their trust in him. Yea, we may see at the very time when he doth prosper his people, yea, in the increase of their fields, their flocks and their herds, and in gold and in silver and all manner of precious things of every kind of kind and art, sparing their lives, delivering them out of the hands of their enemies, softening their hearts, the hearts of their enemies, that they should not declare wars against them, yea, and in fine doing all things for their where, their welfare and happiness of his people. Yea, then this is the time that they do harden their hearts and to forget the Lord their God and do trample under their feet the Holy One. Yea, and this because of their ease and their great prosperity. Think of how ease can be our downfall. How can we prevent this? I for sure don't want to have to be compelled to be humble every time. And it's a huge challenge. I know when things are easy for me, I'm a whole lot likely to get complacent and forget to rely on him as much. We start to feel like we have everything under control, but we need to remember. We need to remember everything that he has done for us. We need to remember where our blessings come from. We need to remember the reason why we can be without sin is because the Savior atoned for us and he died for us. Remember that you have a purpose here on earth. Your purpose isn't just to, to have a good time and be comfortable. You have a purpose. Remember that in the premortal existence, you were excited to come here and fill your mission. And remember that he is all powerful and everything is because of him. And everything we have is because of him. Nephi goes on to say, he says, Yay. This is in verse nine. Yea, behold, at his voice do the hills and the mountains tremble and quake. And by the power of his voice, they are broken up and become smooth. Yea, even like unto a valley. Yea, by the power of his voice do the, does the whole earth shake. Yea, by the power of his voice to the foundations rock, even to the very center. And if he saith unto the earth, move, it is moved. So don't let the easy times make you forget. And it's never too late to give your pride to him and he'll take it. It says in 1223, therefore, blessed are they who will repent and hearken unto the Lord, their God, for these are they that shall be saved. I want to go back a few chapters to Helaman 5, 12. It's one of my favorite scriptures, very famous one. Remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwinds, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you, it shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe, because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fall cannot fall if you build your foundation on the savior you cannot fall pride cannot destroy you if we constantly give it back to him he has given us the way to safety build on him and you cannot fall you will be spiritually safe for the love of the savior remember build your testimony on him For the love of your God who created you and gave you life and every good thing, remember. And for the love of yourself, remember. He created you and me so we can have joy. His plan is perfect, even if we can't understand it sometimes. I want my heart to be his. Does it always play out in my actions perfectly? No, absolutely not. But I know the desire is there. And I know that he knows my desire is there. This podcast is a labor of love for him. I've been prompted to all year to do something. I even started an Instagram ac- account called um, Bree Loves the Book of Mormon. Or no, Bree Reads the Book of Mormon. And I started it and I was like, because I love reading the Book of Mormon out loud. And I'm like, I'm just going to read all of the Come Follow Me chapters so everyone can listen. Um, and then that didn't really pan out and it didn't really feel quite right. And so I didn't end up um, really doing a whole lot. Um, but I think that there was a reason that that didn't feel right. A few weeks ago, I was on a run and I felt commanded to go and do this, to do this podcast. I was running and I felt an overwhelming, overwhelming love for me. I felt him knowing me inside and out. I felt him hearing my footsteps in the moment and my breath. I felt him throwing, I felt him flowing through all of my good desires to serve him, I ran and I cried and I knew that I was meant to do this right now. I don't know how it'll turn out or if anyone will listen. Maybe it's just for me. Maybe it was just for you. But I know that this is my calling right now and I am qualified. And it's not because I have any worldly qualifications because I don't, but I am qualified because he has made it so. He has qualified me. I am qualified through my love of the Book of Mormon and my Savior and my God. And you are qualified to do the things that he has commanded you to do. And any voice that tells you otherwise is the adversary who wants to hurl your soul away to hell. Don't let him stifle you. Don't let him make you forget who you are and why you are here. I love my Savior and I love the Book of Mormon. I would love it if you would share this podcast. Nothing would make my heart happier than to know that the spirit is working through this podcast and that I am serving my God. So please share and I'll talk to you again next week.